find American troops today, you'll find the men of the Transportation Corps. Enough and on time. That's the story we tell you today. The story of the Army Quartermaster Corps. These youthful servicemen are members of the Army's Military Police Corps. One of the most important forces behind the line. The Army Ordnance Corps. Welcome to another episode of the 19th ESC Every Soldier Counts podcast. I'm your host, Major Javon Starnes. And if you hadn't noticed, it's actually February. Um, So each February, Team 19 joins DOD as we pay homage to the exceptional service of black soldiers and civilians. For our listeners, a little history nugget. uh, Black history is also associated with Dr. Carter G. Woodson. In 1915, Dr. Woodson founded what is now called the Association for the Study of African-American Life and History. In 1926, Dr. Woodson initiated the celebration of Negro History Week, which encompassed the birthdays of Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln. This celebration was expanded to encompass an entire month in 1976. Since then, we've been reminded to celebrate the richness and diversity of black history all year long and not just in the month of February. This is even stated on the DOD's website. But what what does it mean exactly to be black? How does it feel to be black in today's society? I wanted to share my personal experiences and compare them uh, to someone who's been on this earth a little more than me. Um, so today we have a special guest. My guest is Lieutenant Colonel Aubrey Ashford, 19th Outbound G3. Colonel Ashford has had an amazing military career and will soon be taken over as battalion commander for the 842nd Transportation Battalion in Beaumont, Texas. Sir, welcome to our show. Thank you. Um, I am truly blessed and happy to be here. Uh, it's an honor to talk to you this great Thursday morning. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Now, I understand you went TDY to the States. How's the jet lag? Are you back into normal routine things yet, or how's that working, sir? You know, I, I think I am. Um, be honest, this is my third trip okay. back to the States due to uh, pre-command courses, and uh, it was great. It was great. Uh, the course was great at Fort Leavenworth, okay. Kansas. Um, my spouse was able to be there with me. Uh, they had a spouse's course for one nice. week. So she, along with other spouses, were able to get a feel of what it would be like as a spouse in Battalion Command. They'd had a great program there. Oh. And then, you know, they were there for, the spouses were there for the first week, and then we continue on um, with the course. And it was a good course, but also it was a great um, time to catch up with a lot of my peers that I haven't seen in a while. Right, back from ILE, Captain's Career Chorus, Bowling. Captain's Career Chorus, <laughs> Lieutenants, guys you haven't seen in a while. That's so good. it was really, really great. That's good, sir. Um, so I want to be able to kind of dig into um, who exactly you are, um, give our listeners a, a little bit more feel about your background. Uh, where were you raised, and can you tell us a little about your upbringing, sir? So I was raised in the Deep South. Um, I'm from, um, I was born and raised in the state of Mississippi. Uh, I take pride for being from the South. Um, I grew up in a small, small town, uh, country town. Uh, my dad was a steel worker along with a farmer, as a farm, and also a farmer. He, uh, we had cows, chickens, <laughs> horses. Did you pigs. did you milk the cows every morning, sir? I never milk milk cows, but uh, <laughs> we had beef cattle. Wow. Yeah. Um, very hardworking man. Uh, one of my great uh, inspirations, his life, uh, but also my mom, also 
she is a uh, service um, in the education field. Great, great uh, woman. Um, I think she did over 40 years in education, and even today she's on the Board of Education in my uh, home county. Wow. Um, I have uh, two siblings. Okay. Uh, a younger sister and a brother that passed away, which I'll tell the story. Uh, but um, growing up, I grew up on a farm. Um, as any typical young man in the South, we played sports. We worked. Um, I love to fish. And I love um, just being around my family. Nice, nice. You brought up a good point that I wanted to dig into. You mentioned your mother's into education. She's on the Board of Education. I heard you attended Jackson State University. <laughs> yes, I uh, I attended Jackson State University. Um, it was all my. It was always my dream to uh, go to college. Uh, my par- both my parents went to uh, HBCU, okay. uh, historically black college, and I knew that I wanted to go to one also. And originally, I wanted to go to Grambling State in Louisiana. Okay. Uh, but once I found out how much out-of-state fees and tuition was. It's pricey. Yes, I decided to stay in-state. So I went to Jackson State University uh, primarily because uh, when I went for the visit, I truly enjoyed the campus. But also I had uh, several family members that were already there Okay. Um, while I was there. So that made the transition a little easier for you. Very. Seamless. Very. That's that's a good point. Like the school I chose to go to was kind of the same path you did. I wanted to go not necessarily to an HBCU, but I kind of wanted to stay in my home state. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm from I was raised in North Carolina. So I went to East Carolina University and I wanted to get just far enough where I was out of reach, but also not stay in the same city and go to UNCW. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of why I chose to go about two hours outside of my hometown to get away, but stay local. Um, with that said about Jackson State, you know, I got to ask the question. Um, what are your thoughts on Deion Sanders? Nothing but positive. Um, you know, the two years that he was there, um, he did a great job for the university. Um, the facilities that uh, he uh, renovated, um, I, I think that it was just an outstanding job. And uh, funny story is that I, when I was at Jackson State, I actually walked on the football team and played for a while. Really? Yeah. What position, sir? Uh, like I said, I was on the team. <laughs> <laughs> but I played, uh, I was uh, a free safety. Uh, okay. So, uh, but uh, but he did a great job. Uh, the recognition that not only that he brought to Jackson State, but all uh, historical black colleges, I think he nice. did a great job. And I only wish him the best uh, with that. And I still follow him today, uh, even though he's transitioned mm-hmm. to the University of Colorado. Uh, I just love his his uh, platform of what he's doing uh, to influence, uh, I would say, the those young men yes. and uh, bringing notoriety to the university wherever he works at. Right. That's good, though. I, I, I like that he was able to um, garner more attention to HBCUs not necessarily only on the football field, but also in the classroom. Uh, He's using social media platforms like Wildfire. And he tells his student athletes that you're not only a football player, you know, you're a young man, you have to grow up in society. There are things that you're gonna have to deal with that you'll learn how to navigate as a team member on the football field that can directly impact how you act off the field. 
Um, and one of those things is just being a man and making decisions, True. you know, not acting as a child. Um, and I think that's one of the things that, um, not just because of his notoriety, but also the things he's able to relay to the parents of the, the athletes he's recruiting. And that kind of helps entice the family to be drawn to, to him when, and what he's doing in the, in the sport of football. You know, it, it is so true uh, because nothing more than a parent wants is to make sure that someone is taking care of their babies. Right. You know, I have a son that's in college right now at the University mm -hmm. of Washington in Tacoma, and I have one that's a senior um, in high school. And the biggest thing that me and my, my wife and I discuss is just making sure that they have someone that will take care of them while they're in the college and will be there. Mm -hmm. But, you know, making sure that someone is there to help them when they need help. And I think he brings that uh, level of comfort, comfort, uh, comfort mm -hmm. to the parents as he's recruiting uh, those players or those students or those young men. That's true. Speaking of, uh, of comfort and recruiting, it makes me think of uh, recruiting for the military, things of that nature. And, what they're doing in schools or in ROTC and how they're getting people to uh, join the military, things of that nature. Which brings me to my next question. Um, you being in the military for quite some time, how does it feel being an African-American, a black male in the U.S. Army? So uh, I've been in the military for 27 years, I believe. Nice. I joined uh, the Mississippi National Guard back in 1995. Okay. Once I realized that I wasn't going to get a football scholarship. <laughs> and that free safety position back there. The free safety you didn't position. have Dion coaching you, sir. Yeah. Had you had that, you would have been an NFL <laughs> Hall of Fame right now. But anyway, um, I, from my perspective, from Aubrey Ashford's perspective, the military has been great. It has given me opportunities that uh, I know that I would not have been able to experience if I was not in the military. Okay. I tell a lot of young soldiers, I tell a lot of civilians that uh, the places that I've been, uh, you know, uh, good and bad. And mm. I say that, you know, in the fact that, you know, I've been to, uh, I've been deployed to Iraq several times. But I've had the opportunities to go um, poor duty that locations that people uh, uh, typically go to vacations. I've, I've been... Uh, I've done temporary duties in Hawaii, uh, Japan, okay. uh, Thailand, nice. Korea, <laughs> um, several locations in the States. So for me, you know, like any job, there are going to be days where, you know, you, it's going to not be so good. Mm. But I, I, I tell my sons, you got to look at the, the overall picture. Right. You know, what are you trying to accomplish? So the Army has brought opportunities not for not only for me okay. but also for my family uh for my wife for my sons allowed me to do things for my parents that I, I know that uh maybe I wouldn't be able to do it at that time uh, help my sister out uh help my uh my nieces and nephews mm. in ways that uh may have been a struggle if I, I was not in the army so overall the army has been good to me now um, like I, again, like any job, okay, you're gonna have some bad days, but I I will tell you my good days outweigh my bad days. That's good. So, are you the first in your family to serve? Do you have anyone else that served in the military, sir? No, not, I'm not the first one uh, to serve, but I'm the 
first in my immediate family. I did have a, a great uncle that served in uh, World War II uh, in the Philippines. Okay. I had a, a uncle on my mom's side that uh, served in the Air Force. He was a security force uh, enlisted, and he was part of the invasion in Panama. And he okay. tells me the stories of uh, uh, of uh, the stories of when he was in Panama. Um, I've had some cousins that have served, but I'm I'm the only one in my immediate family that has uh, served. And to be honest with you, uh, I remember when I was a junior, 11th grader in high school, and you remember when the Army had Be All You Can Be. Mm. And I was watching, I remember like it was yesterday, I was watching The Dukes of Housers. It was one of my favorite shows mm. growing up. Um, and they played the commercial, and I said, man, I'll never join the Army. <laughs> Never join the army, mm. and practically less than a year later, signed up. I signed up. I mean, it was it was partially because of, you know you know the education that the National Guard was was providing. Okay. Um. And but you know I didn't I didn't even know what I was signing up for in the sense of what MOS, but once I got a part part of the organization, once I was maybe five weeks in the basic training, I was like, man, this is this is not bad. Mm. You know, I've always played on team sports, mm. stuff like that. And I looked at it, man, this is a, a sport. I mean, not, not a sport, but this is a team right. effort. Everything was all about teamwork. And because of that concept I grew up with, uh, it wasn't a hard transition for me. Yeah. And it was hard being away from my family because it was the first time I've ever been from home. That's what gets people a lot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, but, the family aspect. And also, you know, being a mix of training uh, at Fort Seal, uh, it pushed me physically. Mm. Uh, it pushed me mentally to to uh, see how strong I was. Yeah. You know, I thought I was in shape. No, I wasn't mm. in shape. Same here. <laughs> I thought I wasn't in shape. Same here. Uh, mentally, uh, uh, I knew that uh, I found out that uh, the body – go a lot further than what the mind tells it yep. uh, because I was a 13 Bravo I was a field artillery mm. uh, and so you know the road marches in the field and stuff like that so mentally basic training AIT uh, I grew I think more mentally than anything uh, and uh, so that's you know my story of yeah. how I actually got joined the army we started out with National Guard and then went to ROTC right. As you brought up the point about uh, be all you can be. They're actually going back to that. Um, <laughs> so in the future, we will hear and see uh, campaigns about be all you can be. Right now, it's a placeholder. It's called Possibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the near future, we're going right back to be all you can be. Um, and then you talked about uh, being in shape and thinking you were in shape until you got in the military. Same here. Athlete, football, track, lacrosse, this, that, and the third. And you know, all-star game and all this stuff like that. And then I get in the military and it's like, hey, we're not doing sprints. You're running miles. Let me see what you got now. And it's like, oh, you know, I go in there thinking like, oh, they're not going to be able to make me tired. I've been doing two a days for like six months. Mm-hmm. And I got the basic training within a month or two, you know, of training just like, all right, what what, what time we got to wake up? I'm tired. Like, what? We got to go run five miles again? Nah, not happening. But like you said, it was it was challenging, you know, um, and I think that was one of the hardest things I've done was to go right from college because I was 09 Sierra. So I was right out of college. Mm-hmm. No ROTC, no enlisted. We just went right into basic and then OCS and then Bolick. 
And OCS was 12 weeks of mental, physical, academic preparation and testing. And you had no time to study. You just boom, boom, boom. You're in a child line trying to, you know, memorize things for the history test or mm -hmm. something like that. But um, that's good. And you also talked about all the places you've lived. So comparing the states from a cultural perspective, right? Uh, how would you compare your experience living in the states to living in South Korea? So uh, funny story. Uh, my parents, both my parents are still living. Uh, thank God. Uh, and they call me maybe three times a week. That's good. I mean, but the time they called me, one o'clock, two o'clock. Oh, they had to go. <laughs> it's like, mommy got set an alarm. He got called me on this time. And the funny <laughs> thing is they always, are you, uh, are you asleep? Well, uh, you know, no, mom, I'm good. So, but you know, my dad is always, you know, be safe and, uh -huh. you know, look, you know, uh, make sure you're aware of your surroundings. And I tell him, I say, dad, honestly, Korea is a safe place. It is. Oh it is goodness. a safe place. I tell them the stories of when I first went to the mall here in Daegu mm. and I saw um, two kids just sitting on the bench on their video games and I'm looking around, where are the parents? Right. You know? No supervision. No supervision <laughs> and nobody's messing with them. Yep. I, I remember I, I laid my phone down in the mall and it was like at least 30 45 minutes before I realized I left it. Mm. Went back, it was still sitting there. Not in the States. We've been gone. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> but, you know, um, but Korea is a great place. Uh, uh, great place, safe. Uh, the people, the culture, you know, a lot of times uh, we don't, we don't immerse ourselves in the culture of the country that we are mm. in. And I was talking to our, one of our captains, our MP that just got here and I told him, you know, you're going to be here for multiple years. You need to, Learn the culture, embrace learn, it, embrace it. You, you know, to. learn as much as you can, you can, because mm -hmm. you never know when you'll be back, or you know if you ever will come back. But you can say that while I was there in Korea, I made the most out of it. Yeah, we're right. gonna work hard, we're mm -hmm. gonna play hard, but when you're off, you know, go enjoy it, enjoy it, yeah, you know? leisure activities. Yes, definitely, and that's true. This is my third time here, and it's people that I knew the first time when I came to Korea in 2012 that I still have their number saved and I still can call them and like we just pick up like nothing ever happened, you know, and it's people from the second time, same way, you know, co or old co-workers helping me find uh, gymnastics for my daughter or a boxing class for my son. And the culture here is unlike any other place. You know, you experience the food, the respect is deeply ingrained mm -hmm. in their culture. You know, it's, it's something that I think we can learn from and Definitely. take back. Yep, definitely. This is my first overseas tour mm. as a as a lieutenant colonel. First time being overseas, stationed overseas. I've been overseas, like I mentioned, right? Uh, deployed, but first time overseas. And uh, the funny story about that is that before I came to Korea, I was at U.S. Transcom uh, mm. working in J five four, and uh, my I was an exec for the J five four, and the the uh, general. Happened to be Lieutenant General uh, John Sullivan, mm. who was a former 19th DSC commander. <laughs> and so uh, as I was uh, making preparations to uh, prepare for B-Kelp and my next duty station, he called me and said, Aubrey, uh, what are you going to do next? And I said, well, sir, you know, wherever I go, I'm only going to go for one year. Mm. I got a son that'll be a senior and I'm moving him. He's in a grade school system up in Washington mm. State near Joint Base Lewis McCord. So, you know, so I think I, I think I, like to go to DC area. He paused. He said, 
Now, where you want to go? Again. <laughs> and uh, I said, sir, I think I want to go to D.C. And he said, no, I got the perfect spot for you. Hey. And uh, he he uh, helped me. Uh, I talked to the wife. He helped me uh, uh, get to Korea. Mm. Uh, and I knew the job that I was taking in the uh, G3 was a uh, was a very uh, very demanding job. And I've never been one to shy away from de- mm. demanding jobs. That's good. Um, but he made a point that uh, I've been in a joint organization, a U.S. Trans Conference, uh, almost three years at the time. Right. And at the time, I didn't know what command I was taking. Mm-hmm. I know that, you know, we have the choice to go operational or, right. or strategic, which right. I'm blessed to get a command, which is strategic. Mm. But he said that, you know, you need to go back down and be around uh, soldiers. You need to go back down. Yeah being around NCOs, mm-hmm. you need to go back down, being around your peers, right. younger, younger uh, officers, you know. Helps you keep a pulse. It does, it does, it does, yeah. you know. And and I, he also, you know, he said that, you know, not only that, you're gonna be working with Korean nationals. Yep. You're gonna be working with uh, contractors. You're gonna mm-hmm. be working with uh, uh, DA civilians. The exclusives, so it, everybody. Yeah, so yeah. it was a one-stop shop that, mm-hmm. you know, that I could, embrace and get back uh i guess get my feedback onto me as i yeah. get ready to take command because at the time i didn't know what command i was taking right you know the uh list was not out so mm. he said go to korea you know we they do pt you got a you got a real world mission here right you know we do exercises you know you uh you uh you train hard because you never know you know what might happen but also it is a great place to be it is. You know, the only the only regret, the only regret I have about Korea is that I was not able to bring my family here. Oh, man. That's yeah. the only regret. I can see I, that. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to bring my wife, but just having a son that's a senior and one in college, uh, we just uh, just said, you know what, maybe yeah. if I come back, you know, we'll, we'll go or maybe we'll come and visit. But that's the only regret I have about Korea that I wasn't able to bring my family. Yeah, I can see that. But you, you got to do what's right for your family, and I'm sure he, your son, appreciated being able to have that stability uh, before uprooting and, and moving. Um, you, you mentioned something I wanted to dig into as well. That for one, you were kind of raised in the South, and you're going back to the South in Texas, um, and you're going to experience uh, something that's familiar to you, but also different from Korea. Um, with that said, is there anything you're doing to prepare yourself um, before going to take on that job um, kind of back in the States? Well, what I'm doing right now is just trying to catch up on doctoring. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, just reading uh, 6030. Yep. Just reading uh, 6 uh, Tech 22. Uh, right. Just reading as much as I can. You know, uh, my basic branch of transportation. Uh, Okay, same here. <laughs> <laughs> so I've I've had the luxury to work uh, with SDDC. Uh, I was a division transportation officer uh, at Joint Base Lewis McCord, where I worked at the port. Work transportation uh, with SDDC at the port of Tacoma. Mm-hmm. Work with several uh, uh, we call them DTOs at Fort Hood, uh, Hawaii, Fort Stewart. So I'm familiar with the process. But the one thing that I'm truly preparing for is because I have a lot of uh, civilians that okay. work uh, that I'll be 
uh, commanding. I just want to make sure I understand uh, the process of supervising them, making sure I, I, yeah. I understand that process. So that's if that's the one thing that I'm really, besides reading the doctor, is just making sure I, I know uh, all the ins and outs of right. supervising civilians. Yeah, slightly slightly different, but um, you know, leadership is is the same across the board. And I think you're going to do. I know you're going to do well, sir. Um, well, a question I wanted to ask you, uh, taking a bit of a pivot here. Mm-hmm. Um, have you experienced racism? I have, and I, I'm gonna tell it. I'm gonna tell this story first, okay? Before I, I tell uh, my experience of racism. Uh, so, as I mentioned, I grew up in Mississippi, and growing up in the South, you know, uh, I was blessed. I had two parents in the home, a father that worked really hard, a mother that was that stressed education big time yeah. for all three of us, uh, my brother and my sister. So uh, she had us in everything from the church mm. to 4-H uh, to uh, sports. Uh, she had my sisters and Girl Scouts. Yep. Um, keeping you active. Keeping us active. So a lot of stuff that growing up I didn't see mm-hmm. because uh, I didn't I didn't uh, I didn't know I, I didn't know. Um, now the first time that I not experienced racism, but just knew it was different, was when I left Mississippi, joined the military, and then I came back. Mm. The first time I came back to Mississippi, after growing up, been there for 18 years, I can see the tension, Mm. you know, I can see the looks. Yeah. Because when I was in Killeen, Texas, which was my first duty station, you know, it was nothing for biracial marriages or, you know, it was a military town. Everybody, we knew every majority of people in Clean Texas were soldiers, and it was a different atmosphere. Okay. But when I went back, I can see it. Now, as a teenager, never, 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 never uh, experienced racism at school. Even though I went to a small school, uh, you know, we had whites, we had blacks. Basically, just black, it, was, it was just African-Americans and white in the school. Mm-hmm. But... For racism, uh, there no, not in my not in my school. Okay. The truly the first time that I know that I, I faced racism was I was coming home from college, um, and I had a my daddy bought me a truck, and uh, it was a black Toyota truck. Mm. I just put rims on it. Well, he, he, he had put <laughs> rims on it, and I tinted my windows, and I got pulled over by a state trooper. And I rolled down my window and I asked him, say, sir, um, you know, um, was I speeding? And he said, boy, don't you ask me, don't, don't ask me why I pulled you over. So uh, that kind of shocked me because mm-hmm. that's the first time that I, uh, you know, he called me boy. Then yeah. he asked me where I was going. And uh, I wanted to say, why do I need to tell you where I'm going, yeah. even though I was going home? But I told him, I'm going home. Then he's asking me where I'm, where where I live, and he wanted to know if I knew the area. All right, he was testing you. Yeah, to see, you know, why 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 was I in that area? Mm-hmm. And once I explained it, that he gave me my driver's license and said, "All right, have a good day." Yeah. Well, so, but he never proof. told me. He never told me why he pulled me over or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the first time I experienced racism, but I did have an experience in the military that was uh, um. Uh, that was a uh, 
shocking experience to me. I was uh, I I was deployed in Iraq on my second deployment, and just a short story, real quick. I had a breaking service out there, uh, so I got out okay. uh, after my first deployment. I mm-hmm. uh, went back to Mississippi to teach, uh, and then you remember the surge cabin, the surge right. cabin, and so I was in the uh, RRR. Okay. Uh, and so I got called back up. And so mm-hmm. um, got called back up, and that's how I came back on duty. But okay. before I came back on duty, I was attached to a reserve unit as an individual augmentee. Uh, mm-hmm. From a, uh, it was from a, it was a unit from northeast of the United States. I'm not going to say exactly <laughs> where. Right. But um, the unit was already in country, and I got there like three weeks later. And the first thing I realized, there was only two African Americans in the unit, and yeah. I was one of them. Uh, maybe three, maybe three. Mm-hmm. But it was only two officers and one NCO. And I worked in the uh, I worked in the G three shop, and I had a major that after two or three weeks, because I was trying to learn, you know, what was going on. I've been yeah, out for like yeah. two or three years, trying to learn the new lingo, everything mm-hmm. to change. Uh, and he just came in and just started. Um, berate me, you know, yeah. you're an idiot, you're stupid. Oh wow! Uh, you oh. never amount to anything. How how can they make you an officer? And I'm like, tearing you down. Yeah, and and, and I looked at him. I'm like, are you serious? Mm. But you know what I did though, I took that as motivation. As mm-hmm. uh, first of all, you learn from good leadership and you learn from bad leadership. That is true. And I said that I would never treat anyone like you treated me. Mm-hmm. And so it it was a um, it was a uh, experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I told my wife about it, uh, but while I was there, uh, this is the blessing. While I was there, <laughs> I got promoted. <laughs> while I was there, they had a, a recall back to duty. Mm-hmm. So while they were getting ready to demobilize, I was coming back on active duty, mm-hmm. uh, and they couldn't figure out how did I get back on active duty so fast because basically we redeployed in March of 07 mm. by May of 07 I was back on active duty Jeez. so I redeployed did paperwork and came back because it was like a shortage there was a shortage of logistics transportation officers yeah because everyone was I guess everyone was getting out and mm. uh so I came back to duty because I realized while <clears throat> I was coaching, teaching. I loved it. Yeah. But when I got back, being around soldiers, I knew this is what I was supposed yeah. to do. It's a breath I, of fresh air. I knew that this was, honestly, I, I knew this was my calling. Mm, so when I came back in, and this is the blessing that, uh, where my my whole career changed. Uh, before, when I was a lieutenant, I had a, I had a uh, great battalion commander mm. that he kind of took me on his wings and wanted me to stay in the army, but I said, "Sir, my brother passed away right before I deployed." Oh, I'm sorry, that. and I said, "So I'm getting out." But when I came back in, the blessing was that I had people reaching out to me to be mentors to kind of teach me, yeah. you know, what right looks like, what I need to do to be successful, what not to do, you know. So I actually got—I actually did not get my first mentor until I was a captain. Mm. So it was a major that pulled me to the side and said, well, I don't know you and let's talk. And he mm-hmm. pulled me. And to this day, as a lieutenant colonel, he still 
calls me, I call him, email, and you know, and, and check up on me. And he's been a mentor for man for uh, 13 years. I have several mentors, but yeah. I, I remember he's the first one to just to reach put, out. To reach out. We was at the chapel church and said, mm-hmm. "Who are you? And why? Why I don't know you? Yeah, you know, let's talk." And so that's that was the game changer for me is when I got my true first mentor uh, to help me along this path mm-hmm. to be a, a a a an officer in the military. Wow, that that is deep. You said it's you feel like it's your calling, and uh, I think some people, you know, may ignore that calling as opposed to you who actually took the first step and actually went forward with it. And you're giving back, you know, you're mentoring other people, yes. uh, things of that nature. Um, so I, like you, you know, experienced a little bit of racism as well. Um, it was, you know, so a soldier basically threatened a lieutenant of mine. And at the same time said, you know, he was going to shoot him the second and third. So I intervened. Um, you go through the steps, you ask the question, you know, ask care escort in the middle of that. You know, you think about harming yourself or anyone else. He looks at me and says, yes, you, sir. And I'm like, oh, this wasn't about me, but okay, now it is. Do you realize you just threatened a commission officer? Then he tries to reel it back. Then it escalated very quickly. Um, they did not take said soldier out of my unit. Uh, the leadership said they don't want to pass a problem to someone else, even though it was life or death. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the time, it all flipped. The soldier said that for some reason I was racist and, and that leadership started believing the soldier even though everything was lies and this that, and the third um and then when it came down to it i was like why are you choosing to believe this person who's clearly lying as opposed and i think people have um biases you know and they we have all, we all do yeah confirmation biases and and things of that nature and it's like you're choosing to believe this because of xyz reasons even though we have the facts laid out right here mm-hmm. um then a, a separate one like you said about driving you know <clears throat> i'm in the car with a friend a caucasian female and we get pulled over and the cop doesn't even talk to me he looks past me and looks at the the woman in the car and he says are you okay is everything okay as if i kidnapped her or something mm-hmm. and i didn't realize what was going on and she got upset and started you know kind of uh, let me know what was going on and fussing and explain like I was so, I guess, used to situations like that, that I just was like, all right, what's going on? Um, He's not talking to me. I got pulled over for this reason. We're in this neighborhood, things of that nature. But at the same time, it was like, sometimes you, and it's sad to say, not you, but sometimes people, I would say, um, get accustomed to being treated a certain way. And it's second nature until you step back and like your eyes are open and it's like, hey, hold up, this is wrong. Um, you're like the soldier, you're choosing to believe this soldier for these reasons. Um, and I think you might want to look at yourself internally and then the cop, why wouldn't you talk to me? Why would you think the woman is in danger automatically? Um, so it's just certain things that, you know, whether in uniform or out of uniform, I think um, people experience. That was a situation one in uniform went out, um, which brings me to my next question. Have you been treated differently um, in uniform as opposed to out of uniform? I have. I have. I, I, I. I think you know, and I think too that uh, the uniform carries a lot of weight. Mm. Uh, people know that if you wear a uniform, you have had formal training. Right. Uh, you have had, <clears throat> um, you know, they look at you know some of the badges that I have. Mm. Uh, a lot of people know that you know if you have only only 
right side, you know, you're yep. being deployed. So I, I definitely see that. But I, I think uh, everyone gets treated differently. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, um, one thing I do want to tell you, and uh, you brought it up about being pulled over, is that, you know, I have two sons, and mm-hmm. I've had the conversation with them about, you know, how to act. The talk. The talk. Yes. For, talk. for our listeners, uh, the talk that uh, Colonel Astrid is referring to is sometimes – um, in African-American culture, there's a talk that has to happen. I'm not talking about birds and the bees. I'm talking about racism. Um, this talk is done with both, whether you have daughters or a son. Um, and I've had the talk with my six-year-old son already. Um, and it's how to navigate life as an African-American in certain situations so it doesn't get escalated. So I had the uh, privilege that my uncle, who was... Um, one of, he's like a big brother to me, was actually a police officer in Atlanta. And he actually gave me the talk um, mm. from a police perspective. And he told me the first thing that, that uh, the first thing that you need to do is remember that when a police officer pulls you over, they do not know what they're walking into. Mm-hmm. So nine times out of 10, they're more nervous than you are. And so he had to talk with me and uh, about, you know, if you're at night, mm. turn your lights on. Turn the lights on inside of your vehicle. Okay. That lets the police officer know that you're not hiding anything. Mm-hmm. You know, sh- you know, make sure you put both of your hands on the steering wheel. Mm-hmm. Roll your window down halfway. Right. You know, uh, I've had to talk where to the point where don't run. Mm. You do not run from the police. Whatever you do, um, and, and you know and Kids these days, you know, they ask why. Why do I have to do this? Why do I have to act a certain way? And I tell them that you don't know what that person is dealing with. Just right. like we don't know what some soldiers are dealing with. You know, they might just be having a bad day. Mm. They might be a bad person, you know. But the bottom line is you want to live another day. Yep, live to see tomorrow. You want to live to see tomorrow and let your mom and dad uh, fight for you. Mm-hmm. And I said, no matter how old you get, you can be 50 years old. I'm still going to be your dad. That is right. She's still going to be your mom. <laughs> and it happened It happened with my youngest son. My youngest son, who was a, <laughs> we had bought him a car. Uh, and I think I think maybe oh, seven, eight months, he got pulled over. And uh, he called my wife. <laughs> I mean, he called my wife. Uh, she put him, he put her on speakerphone. And uh, she listened. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, he did everything like I told him. Yeah. And the cop told uh, told my wife that he was very respectful. That's what you want, yeah. Uh, he did everything uh, that he needed to do. And I don't know how fast he was going, but mm-hmm. the cop said that, <laughs> that I'm going to uh, not charge him as much. <laughs> but he did have to pay for the ticket on his own. <laughs> so the talk, you know, I've had the talk, and we have modified version of the talk due to uh, what has happened in America right. to recently the one that the incident happened in Memphis where mm. the cops were African-American and uh, the victim was a black man. Mm-hmm. And my, my son said that, why did they do that? You know, and I just had to explain to him that it's not all about color. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just about judges, bad people. Yep. And decision-making and decision-making, mm-hmm. you know, and the actions that you take has repercussions. They do. Yeah. And you have to live with those decisions. Yeah. But that's uh, thank you for sharing that story about your family. Um, so 
On a lighter note, um, as we learn more about you, favorite movie, actor, or artist? So, favorite movie, man. This can be anything old. It can be recent. It can be, um, or if you're your favorite book. So, um, I would say I love military. I love military history. I'm not a military history buff, mm-hmm. um, but one of my favorite movies that I, I I truly love watching or series was We Were Soldiers, Young and Old. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've read the book. Uh, I, I've seen the movie. Uh, I've listened to the audio book. Yeah. Um, um, that's one of my favorite movies. Favorite actor has to be, man, Denzel Washington. Okay. Training Denzel. Day. And- <laughs> you know, just, just the different roles he has mm-hmm. played. Uh, and then for books, like, a, uh, you know, reading a lot of doctrine right now, mm-hmm. but anything uh, dealing with leadership, especially, I can't think of a book top of my, uh, top of my head, but mm-hmm. Hal Moore, he has a leadership book, man, okay. it is great. Uh, retired, I think, Lieutenant General Hal Moore nice. uh, has a leadership book. And then I listened to that and uh, had my sons actually um, listen to it also mm-hmm. about leadership. Uh and because you can relate it back to life, it's not yeah. just with the military, but you can relate leadership and that uh, you can relate leadership in just life in general. Because what I tell my sons is that uh, first of all, you want to be a productive citizen yes. in society. The second is that yeah, you want to make money, mm-hmm. you want to have a nice job, but overall, you want to make a difference. And I feel like if everyone tries to make a difference, this world will be a better place. And I truly believe that what I'm doing in this organization, in this enterprise, hopefully I'm making a difference. Uh, and, and and because it's, it's made a difference on me, uh, being in this organization, and I say organization, Army, uh, for over 25 years, and, and, I, and I'm still going strong, and I still love it. I like that. Well, as we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like our listeners to uh, to know about yourself? Well, uh, it's so much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a very interesting person. <laughs> it, it, it's so much, but I, I will tell you that, uh, and I, I was, I'll be, uh, if I don't do this, I will tell you that uh, I've been married for 21 years. Mm. Uh, Congratulations, my, my, sir. Yeah, yeah. My, it'll be 22 in April. My wife is the love of my life. She, I think she loves the military more than I do. Uh-oh. <laughs> but she loves the military. Uh, but um, I'll tell you one thing about the military, and, and I, I'm going to reiterate that, reiterate this, is that, you know, every situation, you know, you just got to make the best situation out of it. You yes, know? Uh, and I think that if you just give the Army a chance, mm-hmm. if you give, if regardless if you're enlisted, or officer, or one officer, or civilian, or a contractor, mm-hmm. give it a chance. And I think that you will have more positive uh, days than negative days. And I think that you will get a reward, rewarding uh, feeling because you know what you're doing is making a difference and it's impacting someone. You may not see the impact immediately, mm. but what you're doing is helping someone somewhere. This is true. Uh, because of the the job we do, the missions that we have, and the the uh, the things that we have to accomplish, we're making a difference. 
And that's one thing I, I like about this organization. That is great, sir. Well, there you have it. As we uh, come to an end, I want to thank you for your time, sir. This was a great discussion. I'm sure our listeners benefited from listening to you. Uh, we discussed several things, the origin of black history, uh, having the talk with your children, our family members, and we learned a little more about your experiences. Uh, please remember to like this video, subscribe, share, tag someone, um, retweet it if you have to. You can see us on YouTube. We have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, social media platforms, and feel free to download and stream this podcast on your favorite streaming platforms. Thanks again for listening. We are Team 19. Out.